0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska Seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. For more information, visit wildalaskaseafood.com. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, jumping in
2: to tell you about this week's episode of Meat and Three, Heritage Radio Network's Weekly Food Roundup. This week, we're introducing you to some amazing women taking a stand. So often, being sexually harassed feels like a loss of control, and so I wanted to have these very tangible guides to say, here's what you can do. Others are pushing for more diversity at major food industry events. I still feel really determined to do, you know, whatever I can to help shift that and in a direction that's not just more diverse, but more equitable. We also have a report on that summer business staple, the lemonade stand.
0: The lemonade stand might be the purest form of starting a business. Low overhead, easy to get into and requires little experience or special equipment.
2: Don't miss Meat and 3, your weekly 15-minute food news roundup from HRN. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Search M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. And thanks, as always, for listening.
3: You're listening to In The Drink on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli. Back to chat about all things wine and spirits. And for those long-term listeners or maybe even someone who listened last week, you know, we have some new theme music from my friend, Rennie Lopez. Uh, Rennie has been doing our music since the beginning. And uh, shout out to Rennie. Thank you so much. I uh, love the new stuff. Um, and I also would like to uh, thank our recent guest, John Bonnet. He, uh, he just did a great article on the wine list at Fausto um he called it uh for for a punch drink and he said at Fausto the middle path between natural and classic what makes Joe Campanelli's wine list one of the country's most exciting in 10 bottles um so he outlined 10 of uh 10 of my favorite wines on the list as well um and he spoke all uh, about our wine list so I encourage you to take a look at that um I'm really excited about today's guest uh we have someone I've known uh, for a while. I've wanted to have him on the show for a long time, so I'm excited that he's here. Um, we have Piero Inchisa, who's the uh, owner. What's that? Okay. And uh, and Claire Sheehan, is in uh, uh, from Grand Cru Selections, <laughs> also in the studio. Thank you very much, Claire. That's great to be here. Uh, uh, fr- so Piero's from uh, Bodega Chakra in Patagonia. Uh, he's the he's the owner and the co winemaker. Uh, he is also the Um, uh, grandson of the founder of Italy's uh, probably most famous and one of its greatest wines, uh, uh, Sassacaya, Tenuta Sanguido. And we have Claire from Grand Cru Selections, um, my partner in uh, sourcing lots of great wines at at Fausto, and um, uh, Grand Cru has a ton of great wines from uh, from France, Italy, and Argentina, Um, California as well, Uh, any other countries, and...
1: Uh, a little bit of Germany, a little bit of Austria, but only one from Argentina. Only one. And there's a reason for that.
3: (laughs) Um, Well, Piero, it's such a... Both of you guys, it's an an honor to have you both in the studio today. Um, I want to... uh, I uh, also say, uh, let you guys know that we are drinking in our glass the 2017 Cine Azufre uh, from Bodega Chakra. It's Pinot Noir uh, from Patagonia, from his winery, and Cine Azufre is without sulfur. Um, and I'd love for you to tell us about what's what's in our glass uh, that we're so, I'm so happily drinking at 11 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> uh, good morning. Thank you
4: for, for having us. Yeah. Um, what you're drinking—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a little bit, I think, the—the uh, the result of an experiment, uh, a masochistic experiment of uh, trying to practice restraint, in the sense that um, uh, most of us uh, make wine in a in a fairly conventional way, and uh, by using uh, tools that are derived from uh, science and and their derivatives, and um, in this case. I I uh, started the winery in, in 2004 and after I had a, a terrible accident in 2012, I, I fell from a wine vat and I had like 18 fractures and that allowed me, it was probably one of the best gifts I received in my life, allowed me to sort of stop everything I was doing and just sort of, um, you know, first of all, I was in a wheelchair for four months, so I couldn't really do much. But it allowed me to, I looked at it like uh, my cousin, uh, uh I have a cousin who's in the wine business as well. His name is, is a Antinori and, and she went through a tough time in her life and she recovered from, from an illness. And she said to me, this is a, a perfect opportunity. I look at my life right now as an empty suitcase and I'm allowed to put whatever I want in the suitcase and I'm allowed to remove whatever I don't like from that suitcase. <clears throat> so my accident in a way, I, um, prompt me to, uh, to, um, a lot of thought process and, and, uh, and to live a a more courageous life uh, in an effort to diminish my fears and and, and conquer some of my demons. And uh, one of the things that I did, um, because every morning uh, I was with a wheelchair going from my house to the winery, being pushed by uh, one of my guys, and and it was evident to me the. the um, the activity between uh, uh, the flora and the fauna that we see in our vineyards, uh, butterflies everywhere, uh, the vineyards all have beehives, so you have a lot of bees. Uh, you see some armadillos, you see hares. There's falcons, uh, there's eagles. It's, it's it's a very fertile ground. And I thought, what what would it be like to try to distill this 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 thing that we perceive, this vibration, this energy, without without um, uh, using science. Um, and just by using uh, the tools at our, our disposal from a physical point of view uh, to, to make wine. Because when you're when you're making wine, you know, we, we're all tremendously insecure. And we rely on science a, as a guidance. So you, you do a, a grape analysis, you do a, a, a vat analysis once or twice a day is in order to look where the vat stands, uh, the must. And more often than not, you're, you're prompt to react just by looking at data that suggests that you might have some acetone or volatility or whatever it might be. And and hardly ever we, we 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 don't act. Hardly ever we want to give the vat of wine in which the wine is fermenting, the grapes are fermenting, the ability to sort of like fix itself. It's a little bit like when you have the flu and you can either take antibiotics and try to cure it right away or you can rough it out for a week and your body will eventually take care of it. So... The idea was to have a little bit of faith in in our organic and biodynamic practices have more faith in nature and try not to intervene of course it's 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 it it, it, you can have sleepless night in the beginning because you have thoughts and, and and doubts but uh, it turned out good uh, so this wine was was uh, made in a completely different way the idea was not to use science but to use your nose your mouth your ears your 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 hands to work it to listen to it to taste it and to decide what kind of intervention you're going to make in the vat in order to get to to have a, a complete fermentation and then subsequently an aging process and a bottling process so uh, have faith in, in your practice, have faith in nature, which is far smarter than we are. Mm-hmm. And, and hopefully you'll have something that is of interest, something that has, a, has something to say. Um, also, I was curious to, 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 to try to imagine what wine would have tasted like in the old days where science was not available. So um, there were many d- different reasons. It was a little bit of a freeing uh, moment as well. So it's a a wine that uh, we pick, usually these grapes, earlier than any other wine that we make because we don't intervene with acidification. Uh, Therefore, we pick two weeks, sometimes 10 days earlier. And luckily, our ungrafted vines, uh, they, they reach phenolic maturation a little bit earlier and this allows us to uh, to make a wine that doesn't exhibit any greenness but has, has a natural acidity or 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 a stronger energy i would like to suggest because at times you put this wine in a in a lineup and i've done it with several wine critics and they all say uh ah, this is your freshest wine this is the wine with the most acidity then i show them the analysis that proves that that is the wine with the least acidity that we make so we don't talk about energy we don't talk about the, the growing energy that you can have uh, within nature before it sort of levels off and then it starts to, you know, to, to, to wind down. It's a little bit like, I always say the same story, it's a little bit like pasta, you know, a risotto. If you're going to remove the pasta from, from, from the water that, that boils when it's ready, it's going to be overcooked. If you remove the risotto when you feel it's ready, it's going to be overcooked. So th- that was a similar reasoning pick earlier, because if you pick when you think it's ready, it's done. It's, it's a little bit too late. Uh, so it's a it's a wine that is 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 uh, it's with no um, uh, scientific intervention. We don't take the temperature of the must. We don't take the density of the must. We don't do scientific analysis. We don't do acidification. We don't do we don't do anything. Um, and um, incidentally, is the wine that uh, without any problem finished uh, to ferment uh, right away. I mean, not right away, but without every uh, any hiccups. And then we will separate the flour from. The skins, we press the skins and it goes in a levage, in a little bit of uh, cement and, 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 and oak without being filtered. We leave it on its leaves as a protection because the sulfur level, you know, when we say that the wine is sulfur free, it's not necessarily true. It's a little bit of a lie because every wine has sulfur that comes from the vineyard. So what what's the difference? No added sulfates, you know, so it's it's a lower percentage. Uh, by the way, in no way, shape or form, I am for or against sulfites, Uh for me, the wine has to be good at the end of the story. and I, I think feel we- the
3: same way. And that's a con- a lot, largely the conversation I had with Jean Bonnet in our, our last episode is that uh, if you can make a good wine without sulfur, then great. But if you need a little bit of sulfur yeah. for the wine to be stable, then you should do it. Yeah. Um, and what's amazing about and I really think that it, it requires a high level of talent of the winemaker to make a great wine that can travel, that can go from Patagonia to Brooklyn and yeah. still be... I, I hate Delicious. to burst
4: your bubble, but I have zero talent, uh, and, and I sort of mean it. Uh, I mean, I think the, re- the real talent lays in, in, first and foremost, the nature that surrounds us over there, because it's easy to have these lofty proposals. But if you're in areas where there is a, a, a large percentage of rain with humidity and heat, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's very difficult to be organic and biodynamic. You know, we all know that organic and biodynamic is a practice, but it's not because a wine is organic or biodynamic that is good good wine is a different story. Hopefully you have a good terroir and you got lucky in putting the right grape in the right terroir. And the marriage of both of them can be enhanced by organic and biodynamic practices. But if you're going to make some wine, I mean, not to offend anyone, but in Arizona or in, in, in microclimatic condition, they're not lending themselves to that. Uh, it's going to be very difficult to make, to make a good wine. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I meant what I said, Joe. Uh, you know, I, I don't see myself as a talented person. I see myself maybe as a, as a curious person. And, and, and I have a, a, a position that allows me to take risks. And in this particular place. Nature—it's uh, so generous with us that our risks are being hedged in a tremendous way by nature. You know, we have twenty to thirty percent humidity. N- low humidity, no fungus, no disease, no bacteria. We don't have Pronospora. We don't have Tignola. We don't have any fungus whatsoever. We last year over fourteen months we did two sulfur treatments. Period in the vineyards. So within this close to perfect condition, it's it's a lot easier to take these chances and this risk. What I will say is this, you have to be far more precise. If you want to make wine free of any chemical intervention, uh, your risk is exponentially bigger.
3: You have to do more mechanical work.
4: No, you yeah. have to make sure that, uh, number one, your vineyard management is impeccable so that you have no disease and bacteria. And when the grapes come to you, they're in pristine condition. Mm. Not with broken uh, berries or a little bit of uh, you know whatever they might they might have around them. So you need fruit that is very 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 pristine. So your
3: viticulture practice have to be, you have to be on top. Of I it. think that's what I meant. Like you have to be if it you can't just be a lazy one. No, no 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 no, no, it no won't just you, make know, it. you have to do work. You have to be in the vineyard. You have to choose the grapes, yeah. that, the bunches that are good and yeah. not diseased yeah. and the ones that are fully ripe. Yeah,
4: yeah. Uh, absolutely. And then temperature. You know, you want to you want to process. And, and ferment in a room that is a lower temperature to minimize bacteria contamination and propagation and, and, and cleanliness, it's incredibly important. Now, you know, everything I tell you, it's, it's not the truth. I'm just giving you, I'm sharing opinions with you that have worked for me and practices that have worked for me. I don't think there is an absolute truth in, in anything we do uh you know the, the multiples and the variables are are infinite but for us that we try to make wines <clears throat> excuse me that stylistically i like to have something that is transparent um with with a, with a strong uh, umami perception so the salinity that comes from our soil uh, m- mineral and 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 crunchy and 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 fresh and and with a lot of tension um so in order for you to achieve this this style of winemaking, you need to be very precise. Otherwise, it might be a little bit more dusty or less transparent and so on and
3: so forth. You know, something that's still sticking with me that that you said uh, earlier was that the accident um, made you be more courageous and uh, take more risks. Uh, but it seems to me that just starting this winery in 2004, <laughs> when you could have had, I think, a pretty nice life if you stayed in Italy and, and worked with your family's wines, it seems like that could have been pretty cushy and, and enjoyable. That had to be that was a courageous move to go to Patagonia. Um, I don't think that's an area that uh, is is well traveled in the fine wine community. Um, so to take that step, so can you talk about that that first step? What brought you down there? Sure, uh, you, <clears throat> you know, in,
4: in in hindsight, you 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 you're giving um, you're using the word courageous, and and again, uh, I, I think that. Uh, uh, you know, the word "courageous" can can be used. Uh, if you if you're a failure, you are not so courageous. You're an idiot. <laughs> you know, so it, it depends how it goes. I, um uh, a person came to the one and says you're an incredible visionary I said you know if I end up going bankrupt they're going to call me an incredible idiot not an incredible <laughs> visionary so it, it all depends and, and, and you need to recognize that luck is, is uh, plays uh, luck and timing really plays a big role um, in those days I, I um, you know I was I was working uh, in, in the family business and zigzagging the the globe for Sasikaya and Tenuta Sanguido and also a, a, a property that my mother owned in, in Umbria. And um, I I had left Italy uh, after restructured one of the family's estates. And um, I came to the U.S. to do a master's. Uh, I did my undergrad in California and did my master's at NYU. And I started to really miss the vines. I really started to miss the vineyard. I started to miss the way that the light moves over your head throughout the day while you're pruning or the buzzing of the bees or the different quality of life in different seasons. This this cinematic slow motion that plays before your eyes as the landscape changes slowly and, and and conveys a sense of peace, but also the different aromas. And, you know, you're part of something that is so much larger than you and is so enjoyable and and, and comforting at the same time. And so um, I, I always had a weakness for um, grapes um, like Pinot as, as a kid. I had the privilege of growing up uh, around my grandparents, in particular my, my paternal granf- grandfather, and uh, that was a, a lover of wine, and uh, we drank primarily the wine that he was buying in those days were Bordeaux, which was not really defined as Bordeaux, but as Claret because it was light in color and, and low in alcohol. And then uh, Burgundy, of course, as you remember, the um, the boxes of Pomar, which today is completely out of fashion, but you know, uh, 40 years ago, Pomar, or 50 or 60 years ago, Pomar was, was considered to be one of the blue chip of, of Burgundy, just to tell you how things are changing and fast, no? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I develop a as a young kid, maybe the palate of an old man, because I I, I never got to try other wines, let's say that are commonly defined as maybe table wines or simpler, more local uh, wines. So uh, I always um, uh, had an affection for Pinot. And uh, when I decided that I was missing so much the vineyards, instead of going back home, which for most people was the obvious and and all my friends were saying, this is what you have to do. I, I prefer to, Something on my own because I, I felt that number one, it's Sikaya My uncle is is the uh, is, is our supreme leader, our guru, <laughs> and he's done a stellar job. He's doing a great job, you know. Yeah. And he, so we have the privilege of have someone that at the age of eighty one, it's still at the helm of the company that has done an insane job, and was 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 right after the founder who was his father. So you know uh, that that works like a charm,
3: and I think the estate has never done as good so it's amazing how those wines have uh stayed true to the beginning and remained elegant and yeah. full of energy when many other estates around them, many other of the famous italian wines especially those blended with with french grapes tended to go towards much more powerful and oaky wines but Sassicaia is always so beautiful and elegant and yeah, yeah. I, 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 love yeah, that I think that uh, there is definitely
4: an e- an element of francophile that is present in my family. For for the different activities that my family has has had during the years, you know, we, we have we had and still have some horses that we breed, train, and, and and race some thoroughbreds. So usually the most prestigious race were in France in those days, and and those guys were yeah. some of the best trainers as well. So there has always been this influence uh, or this 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 uh, proximity. To France, including you know my grandfather being Piedmontese, you're right at the border with France. Uh, he had a uh, a friendship and a correspondent with the Baron de Rothschild because he also had thoroughbreds and so. But we were beating him at the races, so they were exchanging advices one about the horses and the other one about the wine. And 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 I think that uh, my grandfather was in, born in 1898. Um, uh, the wines that he liked were those wines, low in alcohol, uh, you know, in those days out of necessity people picked earlier because they were afraid of losing crop. We, we forget that most of the things that winemakers do, they're not necessarily out of a grand plan or design. A lot of the things we do because there is a necessity.
3: Yeah. you know that's that's uh, you know like this wine spends ten months in tank because we need to because're the, the tank <laughs> new <is> exactly coming <laughs> in or something like that. exactly yeah.
4: so uh you know it, it's a little bit how it works so for uh, for me uh, French wines were a reference um, I enjoyed very much of course uh, different regions uh, Burgundy historically was always my favorite I discovered then Jura and and Loire later on. Um, and uh, and we never change the style because my uncle doesn't have that palette for uh, lots of New York uh, concentration and extraction. And I think he's, 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 uh, he's an incredibly intelligent man, even though he's, he's a little bit introverted and, and publicly shy at times, but he's a strong person, so he didn't feel the need to kneel to fashion and trends and fads uh, simply because they would have not been satisfactory to his own palate. Uh, and luckily, our our clientele followed us. So Sassigai is not a wine that has never followed fashions or trends. It is, oh, you know, the other day, somebody says, ah, uh, not the other day. I mean, I always say the other day, this was like maybe 10 years ago. I did a crush in Oregon, actually 16 years ago. And this kid comes up to me. She goes, so you, you want to go and make Pinot, but you come from a family that makes such a big, opulent, oaky extracted wine. What? I said, what are you talking about? He says, Sassigai. I said, when was the last time you tried sashikai? I said I never tried it. Obviously. Uh, okay, yeah. so you know, uh, so I shared a bottle with him, and he understood. You know, it's it's up op- op- the obvious is that, but I think that's part of of the DNA of our family, of 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 the environment and the people that lived and experienced.
3: Do them. you think part of that DNA <laughs> is also starting something new from where there was, um, not you know that in Bulgaria there was. There was no Nothing. no wine, right? There no, was, um, there were
4: fruit trees and white roads, as a and
3: kid. and I know the first vintages of Sasakaya were were just for the family. It wasn't correct. thought to be a commercial correct uh, endeavor correct. at all, but there was. Uh, it was obviously an extremely extraordinarily successful commercial endeavor, um, and I wonder if if that going out and doing something in a place where and not that there was no wine in, in Patagonia, but um, uh, there wasn't there wasn't necessarily much and cer- certainly fine wine of the of the right. caliber that you're making right. did that inform anything uh, that is that in your DNA as well and I yeah, also know it, your grandfather yeah. was' in, uh, very into nature and oh. uh, I think it's something that most people don't talk about with uh, with Sasuke or don 't realize. Yeah. Is that it was uh, one of the more sustainable lines of its time. And, and I it's, mean, yeah.
4: aside from sustainable, he was I think the first president of a worldwide find organization. In Italy, he was the first person to create a, a private bird sanctuary in the state by mm-hmm. enclosing. More or less, I think around 1,200 acres of the estate. Wow. He enclosed it for the for a safe haven for the migration of the birds. He was not an ornithologist, but he was a very well-rounded man and and someone with a social conscience that was completely aware that uh, it's not just about uh, your company, but it's about the people that work for you, your environment, and so you know. It was a preservation of, 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 of nature, but also he built schools for the kids of the employees that work at the estate. My grandmother had a little bus to pick them up. So there was a lot of social conscience. And I think that once you experience that at a younger age, it just it, it's the only thing that really makes sense. Uh, you know, in, in French, there's an expression, il faut pas chercher midi à 14 heures. Uh, don't look for noon at two o'clock in the afternoon it, it, it's very simple you know and it feels good and and it is normal and it's part of 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 I think uh, the the DNA of people that live in that area also you know people they went through two world wars they're completely different they'd mm-hmm. experienced hardship they never ate they they had difficulties uh, risk uh, protecting your people uh, you know the Nazi had taken over our house so the house was divided into in half or the SS, the other half or the family. So it was like a constant struggle on a daily basis, tension. So I, I don't know. I, yes, I think that I, I picked it up by osmosis without realizing, uh, quite a few people drew some parallel between what my grandfather did, what I'm, between what I'm doing. Um, I, When you're doing something like this, you don't really have much time to think. You know, when I got to Patagonia I found a bunch of semi abandoned vineyards. There was no electricity, no water, no winery, no tractors, no team, no nothing. So the, the the work it it's it's so big that it doesn't occur to you 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 don't get to scratch and, and look into your subconscious or unconscious to see what you know, why you're doing this and uh, maybe is is a quest on some level to prove yourself, on some level to experiment on some level because you want to travel and try things that uh, you can create out of nothing and 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 take chances. and 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 for me, what was the most important part was I felt that there was really something of interest there there was sim- something unique something of consequence
3: and you did because you tasted a wine from the area
4: yeah i tasted a wine from the area after the wine experience in 2000 and, uh, i think 2001 or 2002 in new york city i went with my cousin uh, noemi marone cinzano who at the time was the owner of uh, argiano this beautiful estate in in, in montalcino and uh, all the wines were blind there was a series of illustrious people at the dinner and uh, uh, this wine, everybody placed it within the burgundy segment. And to the surprise of everyone, it was a wine made in Rio Negro. I, the, the wine per se was not incredible, but it had, you know, characteristics and, and tales that it showed that there was some enormous pot- potential back there. Mm-hmm. So uh, for maybe three months, I send a message every day to my cousin, who meanwhile, she had started a Malbec uh, project in that, in that valley. And and every night before I went to bed, I couldn't I couldn't shake this taste.
3: And this was a Pinot Noir. Yeah,
4: I, you know, you uh, sometimes you taste some wines, and and it, it it goes beyond your palate. It invades your 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 intellect. It invades your heart. It invades uh, all of your body because mm-hmm. it moves you and it vibrates on a different level at a different tune. And that was one of those wines. So I took a plane. Finally, she says, "Why don't you come for the harvest?" I took a plane. No idea where I was going. I got to this valley. As we were flying over the valley towards the airport, I thought, my God, this is the biggest mistake of my life. It's a a desert. It's a sunken desert. It's a sunken valley in the middle of a desert. And it doesn't look like there is anything that shows that this is potentially a good place for Pinot. See, little that we know. Because... You know, we, we have a tendency today to have these absolute things, you know, like Nebbiolo can only grow in Piedmont and Cabernet can only blow, you know, grow in Bordeaux. I mean, historic, no? And so I, maybe the references and where I live, I, my grandfather showed me that in the Mecca of San Sangiovese, you can successfully plant Cabernet Sauvignon and Cabernet Franc and make a wine that people think is a copy of a French wine. In reality, it's a quintessential expression of the terroir of Bulgaria. So I, it, it, once you already have references, because you have the luck to have been sitting next to someone or within the same family of people that were trying things, you know that that road exists, which is a lot easier than if you never saw somebody doing something like this mm-hmm. and you don't know that that road maybe exists. So I felt that a Pinot, I, I was hoping that maybe the same parallel could be drawn for Pinot in Patagonia. And luckily it's been there for 150 years. So what, what we sometimes we fail to, to forget, to remember, to acknowledge is that plants are like humans. They have this ability to adapt themselves to different microclimates. Of course, then soil composition enhances or diminishes the ability for the wine to be very good or maybe authentic expression or not. In this case, uh, you know, Pinot that mutates fairly fast in the vineyards have been there for 120 years and mutated enough time to be, to be at home. Also, this is all grafted vine pre philosophera. So I think there has been a, an adaptation by all this family, and now they thrive and they express something that, in my opinion, is, is, is of interest to me.
3: And, and not just you, to a lot of us. Um, on that note, we're going to take just a quick break. We'll be back with Piero and Chiza from Bodega Chakra right after this.
1: what it takes to swim a coastline longer than the entire eastern seaboard and leap tall waterfalls in a single bound. What does it take to survive 200 feet deep in icy salt water? What would you be made of? Wild Alaska seafood is made of tight muscle mass, long chain omega-3s, and incredible micronutrients. It matters where your food comes from experience the flavor of the fittest in every bite, and enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska Seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. Ask for Alaska on the menu, grocery store, or smart device. For more information, visit WildAlaskaSeafood.com.
3: All right, we're back with Piero and Chisa della Roqueta, Bodega Chakra, in uh, uh, Patagonia, Argentina. Makes absolutely gorgeous biodynamic Pinot Noir, and we're still sipping on the Sin Azufre, uh, without sulfur, two thousand and seventeen. I actually was telling Piero during the break that I recently uh, went to Pig Bleaker, a new uh, newish barbecue restaurant on uh, on Bleeker Street, um, from the folks behind uh, Pig Beach, and. I was with uh, there were four of us and we drank four bottles of the Sina Azufre 2016, um, which is really unlike me. I, I always <laughs> like to try different wines, um, but it was so, so good and uh, it, it's my favorite type of wine that uh, you can just keep drinking. It doesn't slow you down. It's just so enjoyable and um, and I see in the in the glass uh, and. and as you rightly pointed out, this one has really opened up. It was delicious to begin with, but uh, it's, it's evolving. Um, and uh, I love wines. I, I, I think I saw on your website that uh, you look for wines with energy and maybe good acidity and maybe as a consequence of that have low alcohol?
4: Uh. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, you know, I, 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 I try not to focus on any specific element at all. For me, the important thing is balance and deliciousness. But if you want to achieve um, a wine that is mm. fresh and you want to preserve uh, natural acidity, you need to pick early. And one of the consequences of picking early is that you have a lower uh, alcohol. Um, what you're drinking right now, that is a seventeen vintage. Um, just to put things in perspective for you, because there is unfortunately there is a lot of myths out there that I, they're not necessarily completely true. That, like I said before, there's many truths. So, uh, the, 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 first of all, there's this word out there that I, I don't really like. That's called "new world." It's such a, a way of European people to judge others. You know, last time I checked, the world was created all at once. So <laughs> I'm not sure uh, what we're trying to define, but. It's it's commonly used for wines that are from the southern hemisphere, and and actually the north too, because America also is considered to be in the New World. So when, when there is this belief that in in places that have uh, uh, warm weather, uh, the wines inevitably are high alcohol. Well, uh, I think we successfully prove the contrary. If you if you're willing to invest and you're in you know, like we planted thirty six thousand trees, for instance, you know, every single vineyard has a set of cover crop. Thirty six thousand
3: trees, you said yeah. Poplar trees. Poplar
4: trees, correct. And
3: the reason is for
4: the reason is because I wanted to further uh, with the use of nature and not chemical products, I wanted to slightly change the microclimatic condition in the vineyard. So the poplar tree grows very fast. It's got a lot of leaves. It, it it bends without breaking, so it protects it against the strong winds. Because you know we don't have pesticides and bacteria because we have a strong wind and and, and a constant breeze. So every time it rains, it dries right away. Right. So, as a consequence of that, you need to protect a little bit the vineyards. But I also reduced the parcels of of of, of Chakra. So, when I got to Chakra, the parcels some parcels were five hectares. So, I brought everything down to one hectare. And by doing so, I planted poplars in in, in, in you know the hectares of square dimension in, in in Rio Negro. And by doing so, you're 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 increasing the shade. You're increasing protection against the wind. You're increasing the the green mass of leaves and that with the cover crop at night helps to mitigate the temperatures. The cover crop also dilutes the intensity of the sun rays on the ground because it covers the ground, which is mm-hmm. a slightly sandy soils as well. And so sand, sand uh, heats up and cools down exponentially faster than, than regular earth. So the idea is to protect. It's like a little bit like a carpet. You know, to give you a, a little bit of an analogy, let's say that you you sell your, your restaurant chain and they pay you this obscene amount of money. And you I'm dec- listening. <laughs> okay. a- and you decide <laughs> to retire, okay? So... Here comes um, a big group. You sell and you move to Hawaii and you buy this killer beach house, which, you know, you, you treat yourself and you have a nice little uh, grass in front of your house prior to getting to the sand and the water. You have this beautiful grass. August 15, as you walk out of your house barefoot, you're fine. You're happy. The grass is cool. The moment you step into the sand you're running for your life towards the water, otherwise you're going to burn your feet. Mm -hmm. It's the same concept. If you have cover crop on your vineyards, you're protecting them from this direct sunlight. It gets diffused. The sun doesn't heat up the soils. The rays don't bank from the soils into the grapes and cook them. So you can revert all of this um, or mitigate all of this extreme condition that you might have in certain areas. So 2017, we had seven days over... 53.5 53.5 degrees Celsius. I think, Claire, that's what, 133? I think no that way. It's, it's, yes, I think it's over. So I was, I was my cousin, who also has a, a fantastic estate in Tuscany, his name is Duccio Corsini, uh, he was there with me and, and his family. We couldn't believe it. You had to stand still in the shade and, or be in the water. Having said that, we still made wines that were 13% alcohol do you understand yes so you're able to cool down the environment naturally absolutely it's amazing absolutely so it's all about you your practices your precision your commitment mm. and your way to and your your willingness to explore alternate alternative way that will bring you to the result that is desired by you.
3: Now I know biodynamics is very important for you. Was that something that you did from the beginning, from 2004, or is right that away
4: from the get-go? We we, we uh, you know when we got there, we found we found a vineyard that was semi-abandoned, that was suffering. The the, the amount the canopy was very small. Um, the soils were almost grayish in color, and they were very compacted. They were not a, a bug. they were not a worm. Um, So immediately we wanted to rescue and we started a program of cover crop, Uh, of course, that is driven by biodynamic and, and organic practices, in order to reverse what we found there. And nowadays, our, our soil, it feels like a mattress. You know, the idea is that you want fluffy soils mm-hmm. with that are alive, that are oxygenated with worms and bugs, and, and so that the root system also can go deeper, find its own mineral, find its own water, as opposed to staying to the surface. You know, when you're, when you're farm chemically, the root system is not necessarily driven to go down. Uh, this geologist that we work with, Pedro Parra, calls it la cocaina. He's, he's from, uh, he's from uh, Chile. He goes, Piero, la cocaina, la cocaina. Because the thing is, he says, if you give a lot of food the root is not going to go down. You're feeding it. It's not going to go and get its own meal. Right. You know? It makes
3: sense that if you have the water at the top and the fertilizer at the top, yeah. all the roots will stay at yeah. the top. To because that's where the, yeah. that's where the Instead, food is. Instead,
4: so what we did, we reversed that trend and we trained the roots to go deeper and deeper and deeper. Mm-hmm. So now we have a slightly nicer... Minerality that comes across, but also the the soils are fluffy, so the wines are more transparent. You know, it's it's we work primarily on empirical evidences. Then I have a, a Gabriele Graya with me, who's who's is an enologist. Uh, he works with my team, and and he's there uh, not just to because we make the wine together, but he's a real technician. He's an engineer first, and then he's an enologist after. So. I also surround my people that are very good at what they do so that I don't make huge mistakes mm-hmm. from time to time.
3: And he makes beautiful wines outside yeah. of Rome as well yeah. in, in Italy.
4: Yeah, he's got a very good sensibility and, you know, it's, it, it's a privilege to, to have a team that you work with and that is so great.
3: How is, Do you have any sense as to, um, one, how Pinot Noir got planted in Patagonia in the 1930s, and and two also, how long had the the vineyard been sort of abandoned? It's amazing that it, it could. Well, again, uh, abandon is,
4: is, is a little bit of a lie in the sense okay. that it was semi-abandoned. semi You know, it's like when I say the vineyard is planted in 1932. It's a, li- it's a little bit of a lie in the sense that a, villa- a vineyard is like a village. You plant it in 1932, but then the grandmother dies, the grand aunt dies, mm-hmm. the grandfather dies. And so in those days, uh, farmers did not have a lot of money, so the planting was gradual the replanting was gradual. So if you... So right now we have a vineyard that is populated by planters from 1932, but also from 1945, from mm-hmm. 1960, which I think gives more complexity because when, when you grab a village, there is people of all age. And so everybody's got their own character and, and, and vitality and so on and so forth. So that that's a little bit
3: more... It- but how did Pinot Noir get there?
4: Joe, Why? it's... it's If I had an answer, I would be a millionaire. <laughs> I think that there is a possibility going back to... to uh, Uh, to this thing that, you know, winemakers, uh, uh, you know, like uh, everything is per a grand design. I think that these guys ordered a bunch of Malbec and I think that the nursery maybe was out of Malbec and they filled up the rest of the order with whatever they had. And they
3: said they're not going to know for three years. They're not going to know. There is is no phone. There is no fax. There is
4: no, there is absolutely nothing. There is a boat, you know, you're probably sending a, a letter by boat. And they receive it. Like,
3: oh, you wanted Malbec. I thought you said <laughs> <Yeah>. Pinot Noir. <laughs> I, I,
4: I definitely think that that's one of the potential reasons wow. because it doesn't make any sense. But I'm glad that they did. And and the other funny thing is that these these are uh, families that were uh, immigrants from Italy. You know, the, the, the people that planted the vineyards, that the Napolitano brothers, Italians, and then they sold it to the Piri brothers, Italians. And then I, I purchased it and I'm in an Italian. So the funny thing is also that the three owners of this vineyard have all been Italian. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I feel very privileged. I feel lucky. And I think that often, uh, you know, you learn stuff from a uh, from, uh, difficult situation, from mistakes. And, and, and I think that in this case, we're the beneficiary maybe of a, of a snafu that happened mm-hmm. maybe a hundred years ago. And once they receive the plant, in order not to lose one or two years,
3: they're like, what the heck? We plant them. And, and today, you see, um, after 13, 14 years of biodynamics in the vineyard, um, how have the vineyards changed? Other than just having fluffy soil, have, the, have you seen the so, wines go <clears throat> through phases after? Because I, I imagine it takes... I, Some time to rehabilitate, rehabilitate the soil and, and the plants.
4: Yeah, you need to have a, a, a Japanese-like patience and drive in the sense because <laughs> as, as you're young and exuberant, nothing goes at the rhythm that you want. You know, I'm constantly reminded by my team when I get there that New York in New York and Patagonia is Patagonia, so it is, I should take a chill pill, come down, and not just hurry everyone and, and want to do... You know, they say that I go too fast for them and, and, and so on and so forth. But uh, I, I think that, uh, first of all, empirical evidences. is uh, the, the plant have more vigor. Uh, we have a canopy of one square meter per plant. The green is a deeper green. It's are shinier. Uh, there is no uh, disease of, of any kind that we could see. Uh, the grapes are healthier, healthier. Uh, the, the, the berries are smaller, so the average weight per bunch is lower than it used to be, also because we reduce irrigation by 90%. And then we find that there is uh, the, 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 the wines are more transparent. The minerality comes across with a lot more clarity. The florality seems to be slightly more pristine and clean. And we find that the, the, uh, it's a little bit like a ballerina. So they're light on the palate, but there is this natural strength to them. To really capture it, you need to like sort of shorten that gap between your brain and your tongue in order to pick up the subtleties because these are not big, bold, extracted uh, wines. Uh, but so we've seen that it's almost like you're fine tuning your body to go for the Olympics. So uh, before, they're a little bit more rusty. They're a little bit more uh, uh, dusty, uh, slightly more compacted in the taste. I just had a, a bottle of the first vintage next to the bottle of the last vintage, and it's the same wine, of course, but wine has been liberated.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: You understand? It's, it's, uh, it's more airy. It's more lumineux, you say in French. There's more light into it, but there's also more energy into it.
3: Well, these are... Exactly the kinds of wines that I love to drink, and I know a lot of uh, wine enthusiasts really do as well ones that are made with uh, true respect and reverence for nature, um, but then also present in the glass as something that's absolutely beautiful and clean and pure and uh, And no hangovers. I had (laughs) after four bottles, I don't think I was thinking I don't think I've ever at a restaurant. Or at, at home, if i had four bottles of the same wine. Yeah. So we had four bottles, uh, no hangover. I went for a long run the next morning. Uh, Is great. I think it's the, the best kind of wine drinking experience. God
4: bless you, Joe. We need more people like you. For <laughs> four bottles a night would be great. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it was great. I need to do that again. Piero, thank you so much for, for being a guest on In The Drink. It's been such a pleasure to have you here.
4: Thank you. Um, I also... And, uh, and, and hopefully, I'm going to say this online, but hopefully I get to to get the reservation at Fausto one of these days. I know that you guys have like...
3: Uh, I don't know. We're very busy. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> what about if I bring four bottles of wine? <laughs> oh, yeah, then you're in. You're in for sure. Uh, I also want to thank you and in, in The Drink listeners for joining me for another discussion about wine. If you like In The Drink and want to help the show out, you can easily do so by simply rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts. Um, I also want to thank our engineer, Dave Tadishor, and our producer, Jasmine Mali. And thanks again to Renny Lopez for that awesome music. I hope to see you guys at Fausto. And until next time, thanks for listening to In the Drink. Thank you. And thanks, Grand Cru and Claire.